0: I'm Robin Black and this is Robin Thinks. Uh, today I'm going to be continuing on with I Kiss Dating Goodbye. One of the things that you'll probably notice is I'm taking a long time to go through this book and that's for a reason. I think it goes without saying that there is a lot of talk about deconstruction these days and I, whenever something becomes a part of the public conversation the purpose or the reason for it can get lost. And I don't think that deconstruction is anything new. I think having a word for it is something new. But what I believe is that deconstruction is simply the process of spiritual maturity. The Bible likens itself to food, spiritual food. And I think that that is very accurate because I think that spiritual food is just like Food. We live in a modern society where all of our food has been sort of chosen and vetted for us. Like we go to the grocery store and and we don't have to worry about is this poisonous or not poisonous. Almost anything that you find in a grocery store is going to be edible. That hasn't always been the case throughout history. Uh, For most of history, people actually had to go out into the woods and find food or they had to carry seeds with them and plant food but they had to learn what is edible and what is poisonous because there are so many foods there are there are millions of different uh, plants in the world and some of them some of the poisonous plants look almost exactly like edible plants and so I think that part of spiritual maturity is learning how to differentiate between what is good for food, what is good to eat and what is poisonous because very often they look exactly the same. So I just want to start off um, in the end of chapter five, Josh, uh, there's a section called love must be sincere. And so I just want to uh, read from the book here. He says, much of what takes place between guys and girls today is insincere. There is nearly always an angle, a hidden agenda, What can you do for me? What can I get from you? I'll never forget a conversation I sat through with a group of guys. Girls, you would have been appalled if you had overheard it. These guys were discussing things a guy could do on a date to get a girl to fall for him. They recited lines for stirring the heart and lines for getting a kiss. One guy explained his technique of alternating warmth with disinterest and coolness. He claimed that this approach kept a girl guessing and trying her best to please him. Another guy shared ways to put a girl in a romantic mood. He'd take a date to a furniture store, and as he and the girl were walking through the displays, he would talk about families and ask which tables and couches she would want for her home someday. Girls go nuts for this, he told us. He explained that with marriage and future plans on her mind, the girl would more likely be romantic and affectionate during the evening. This conversation was a study in manipulation. All of it was completely fake, completely insincere. These guys weren't seeking ways to bless girls. They merely wanted to push emotional buttons to get something for themselves. Okay, here's something that is so very important to understand, okay? The American church exists in America, okay? I realize that sounds kind of like a no-brainer. But what you always have to keep in mind is that The American church is going to be highly, highly, highly influenced by American values. And what's really sad about this is that the church is actually called to be a light unto the world. The church is called to be different. And yet it's not. Uh, It is my opinion that in America in particular, the church is far more highly influenced by culture than it is influencing culture, uh, at least right now. That It goes back and forth, and that's not always the case, but I think it's absolutely the case right now because what this is called, and remember, this was written in 1997, and what this is called is capitalism. Capitalism is how do I capitalize on this situation in order to, gain more for myself than I give that is capitalism what's even worse however is that capitalism is also the study of how do I create an environment in which I that I can exploit for my own benefit that is capitalism one of the things you'll hear me talk a lot about again and again and again and again is relational integrity relational integrity is how do we create an environment in which we both benefit equally as far as i am concerned that is god's plan our plan however man's plan is how do i get ahead how do i exploit a situation or even worse how do i create a situation that i can exploit for my benefit that is capitalism that is exactly what these boys are talking about here and the problem is you have to remember joshua harris was homeschooled he was raised in evangelical culture so the There's a very good chance that these boys that he's talking to, maybe not, but there's a very good chance that these boys that he's talking to consider themselves to be Christians. And yet what they're talking about is exploitation. How do I create a situation that I can then exploit to my advantage? And here's the further problem is what does Josh do? Nothing. Nothing. Josh just sits there and listens to this. And the thing that cracks me up is he says, girls, you would have been appalled if you had overheard it. As if we are so stupid that we don't know exactly how men and boys talk about us. That we don't know full well that men and boys spend the vast majority of their time trying to figure out How do I exploit the situation to my best advantage? We are fully aware of this. And what it does is this is where the battle of the sexes comes from. This is where this war comes from. Because you have boys that are literally spending their time scamming, trying to figure out how do I manipulate girls to get what I want? And then what happens? They turn around and they blame girls for doing the exact same thing. I'm not claiming that boys are the only ones that that are manipulative in relationships, but it's completely wrong to act like girls are the only ones that are manipulative. So this is the question is how do we stop manipulating in relationships? Uh, This is where I want to skip ahead to chapter seven. I'm just gonna go ahead and, and read straight from the book and then I'll talk about it. In high school, I attended a weekend church retreat in which we discussed the topic of sexual purity. During one session, our pastor asked all of us to anonymously fill out survey cards that would let him know how far kids in the group had gone physically. He provided a rough scale for us to use, assigning numbers to levels of physical intimacy based on their seriousness. The activities ranged from light kissing at number one to sexual intercourse at number 10. Our pastor asked us to write down the highest number we had reached. After dropping my card into a basket, I filed out of the classroom with two friends. I'll never forget the ensuing conversation. One of my buddies looked over at the other and said with a wink, So, how high did you score? Laughing, my other friend said he had reached eight, almost nine. Then these two guys proceeded to name the particular girls in the youth group with whom they had reached certain numbers. My two friends exemplify how clouded our understanding of purity has become these days. We esteem purity too little and desire it too late. Even when we try to assert its importance, we render our words meaningless by our contradictory actions. Do we desire purity in our relationships? We say we do, but do we live lives that foster this purity? Unfortunately, not enough. Make me chaste, prayed Augustine, but not yet. Like him, we often have pricked consciences but unchanged lives. Okay. <laughs> I just as I read this, it, it it gives me almost a migraine to read this. Okay? So let's talk about all the many, 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 many different problems with this story. Okay. First of all, anytime you rank something on a scale of one to 10, what you are doing is you are commodifying it. Okay. When you turn something into a number, numbers can be judged against other numbers, right? We're, we're very familiar with this idea of she's a 10, right? Here's the problem with the idea of she is a 10. If she's a 10, it signifies that somewhere out there, there are fives and sixes and twos and zeros. You are literally commodifying women. What's interesting to me is Josh is completely shocked and appalled by the completely wrong thing. What he states here is that after these boys had been led by another boy man to commodify sexuality on a scale of 1 to 10, they literally walk out of their youth group, youth room, whatever, and specifically name the girls that they have had these sexual experience was with okay so men supposedly in patriarchy are supposed to be the protectors of women and yet what are we doing here it's interesting to me that on the one hand they elevate sexuality they put it on this big pedestal right like we all have to remain pure until we get married why is it so important for girls in particular To remain pure until marriage. Like what is that really about? Like men like to say that that's that that has something to do with God and yet like so many things that men talk about I don't think that's really what it's about because God talks about how God can redeem all things. And yet it's men, and this isn't just in Christianity, this isn't a new thing. Purity culture didn't just suddenly spring onto the scene in the 90s, okay? Purity culture, this idea of innocent virgins and maidens, this is as old as time. And why are virgins so important to men? Virginity is about conquest. It is about collecting. If you think about, um like islam extremists i don't I don't want to talk about just like normal uh, uh Muslims, but islam extremists, what is the big um reward that they're promised? They're promised uh forty virgins, right? This is very important that they're virgins. What a virgin means is that a virgin has never been with another man, so virginity is not about God. virginity is about. Men, it is about men and their constant, never-ending competition. I have to be number one. I have to be the only man that this young woman has ever been with. That is what virginity is all about. It has nothing to do with God or what God wants from us or for us. It has nothing to do with God. And this is one of the many problems, first of all, with religion and second of all, with patriarchy. Because religion too often gets twisted and used to promote man's agenda, okay? But in patriarchy, men are constantly setting themselves up as being the protectors of women. Like women are raised and girls are raised and trained to believe that men will protect them. And yet, here we have, what do we have here? First of all, we have a, I'm going to guess a male youth pastor commodifying sexuality how far have you gone and and keep in mind uh this is a well it says a weekend retreat it doesn't say if it's if it's boys and girls but obviously uh when Josh leaves he leaves with his his guy friends and what do they do they name names they literally talk about these are the girls that we have had some level of sexual activity with how exactly is that protecting women and girls and what does Josh do does Josh actually stand up for women and say hey guys why are you talking about girls like this these are our sisters in Christ first of all you probably shouldn't be doing that in the first place but if you do why are you talking why are you bragging about it he doesn't actually stand up for girls he's so focused on purity that he completely misses the real like problem here, the real issue here. He's so focused on purity and the, the only, the, the biggest reason that men are so concerned with the purity of girls and with virgins is that it's all about their competition. That's what it's really all about. We are pawns in their game. This is why it's so important for women and girls to understand. Men are not going to protect you. The bro code is very real. And there is probably no place where it is more evident than in patriarchy. The bro code is literally the number one rule of patriarchy. And you need to know that. They will say... God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, as a, as a means of talking about how homosexuality is bad or wrong. But they, they fail to understand the hypocrisy of them saying that. Because God did create Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And yet, in every single patriarchal culture, men will protect men before they protect women. Why didn't Josh stand up for girls to his guy friends because bros before hoes men will always protect men before they will protect women first they will protect themselves adam will protect adam before anyone else okay and we saw this in the garden of eden when adam and eve both ate of the fruit, what did they do? Well, Eve blamed the snake. And what did Adam do? Adam blamed Eve. Adam turned on Eve. At the very first man and the very first woman, the man through the woman under the bus. And by the way, nothing has changed. So first, Adam's going to protect Adam. Second, Adam is going to protect Steve, not Eve, Steve. Adam will protect Eve from someone who's not his buddy. But when it comes down to his buddy Steve, or his wife Eve, he's going to protect his buddy. The patriarchy will always demand loyalty to the patriarchy first. The second a man has a a wife that in any way steps out of line, they will feel the pressure of the patriarchy. And if the man chooses his wife over the men, he will be cast out of the patriarchy. This is why men do not actually stand up for women to the patriarchy because the cost of standing up for a woman is you are shunned from the patriarchy you are cast out from the patriarchy this is why josh didn't stand up for girls against his buddies because the bro code is very real so then he goes on um to and First, I want to read this quote. Uh, this is I found this on Twitter. Um, the, the person that wrote this, his name is Rich Valotis. He says, in our minds, holiness is usually about what we abstain from. But Jesus saw holiness as what you give yourself to, namely justice, mercy, compassion, love, and hospitality. In the end, the holiest people are the ones who love well. And this is exactly what just happened here with Josh. Josh is so concerned about purity. He's so concerned about what he thinks he needs to abstain from that he completely missed what he should have actually been doing, which is standing up for those girls that his buddies are demeaning by naming them by name and saying, these are the girls that we've had sexual contact with. It's just like going back to chapter one the problem, when or maybe it was chapter two when uh when josh's buddy jeff had sex with gloria the problem was not that jeff had sex with gloria the problem was that jeff came and had to brag about having sex with gloria to josh it was the bragging that was the problem it wasn't the having sex that was the problem it was the bragging about it afterwards that is the problem this is the exact same thing here and Josh can't see the forest for the trees because he's so concerned about purity and maintaining purity that he doesn't see defending women as actually being the right course of action here not that he would anyway because if he did stand up for those girls what happens he gets shunned by the guys because the bro code is real. So, I would argue that there is a serious misfocus in the church. I-, I can almost guarantee you that those that every one of those girls probably thought that what they were experiencing with this boy was something very special. Little did they know that their experiences would number one be commodified by a youth pastor and number two giggled about by a group of boys who literally named them by name. Boys who should be protecting women instead subjected them to mockery, ridicule, and probably eventually scorn. Because we know how teenage boys are, right? When, when teenage boys look at a girl and they believe that one of their buddies has had sex with her, well, what happens? She's now like the scarlet woman, right? She's, she's tainted now. She's damaged goods now. Okay, so instead of protecting women and girls, they're subjecting them to mockery and scorn. And Josh is so concerned about abstinence that he completely misses what he should be doing, which is defending and protecting those girls. It's interesting, and it really should come as no surprise that uh, Josh, of course, uses the story of David and as has been discussed quite frequently recently on the internet Um, (laughs) the story of David has been vastly mistold because it has been told almost solely by men and needless to say it has been uh, twisted for the benefit of men so I'm going to read from the book here like every journey into sin, David's journey into iniquity began with an almost imperceptible movement away from God. When we first noticed David's slide towards sin, we see him on the rooftop of his palace. But he had created the context for his misstep through an earlier decision. It was the spring of the new year when kings led their armies to battle. But this year, David didn't go to the battlefield with his army. Instead, he stayed home. The choice may have been trivial, even justifiable, but the fact is that David was not where he was supposed to be. He was not on the front lines fighting God's battles. Okay, first of all, I just want to stop there and say, if you haven't read Jesus and John Wayne, read it. And even though Kristen Dumez really deals with late 20th, 21st century uh, evangelicalism, the truth is there's nothing new under the sun, okay? Uh, Men have been... Starting wars, perpetuating wars, at war with each other for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and constantly saying, Oh, it's God's will and blaming it on God. Okay. So, David was not meant to be off fighting God's battles. The problem here is that David sent men into battle. He decided, Well, I don't want to go to war. With Z- I don't want to go lead the battle. I'm just going to send my men off to go fight my war for me. And I'm going to hang out here at home. So in that sense, Josh is absolutely spot on that that already sets the stage for what comes later. So uh, continuing on, was this sin? Not blatantly, but it was a small step away from God's plan. You may have heard people say that idle hands are the devil's workshop. And so it was for David. The energy he should have exerted on the battlefield needed an outlet. Restless, he paced the palace rooftop. From there, he caught sight of a woman bathing. Instead of averting his gaze, he indulged his desires and looked. Another step. Why did he continue to watch? He had seen the female body before, having married many times. But he coveted. Sin came in the form of a thought. David desired that which did not belong to him. Instead of rejecting the vileness of this thought, he entertained it, letting it linger in his mind. He allowed lust to take control. David acted on his wicked imaginings, sent for Bathsheba, and slept with her. The innocent shepherd was now an adulterer. No, he was not. David was a rapist. And this is what keeps getting mistranslated and misinterpreted about David. David was a king. Bathsheba literally had no ability to say no. When a woman cannot say no, David was not an adulterer. Bathsheba did not participate as an equal partner in this. David is a rapist. Complications arose. Bathsheba sent a message that she was pregnant Her husband had been away from home for some time. He could not have fathered the child. Surely Bathsheba's husband, and perhaps the whole nation, would discover her and David's illicit affair. And there it is again. It's not an affair. David raped Bathsheba. In haste and panic, David attempted to cover up the sin, but his attempts failed. Fearing certain scandal... David signed a letter that sealed the death of Bathsheba's husband, one of David's most loyal soldiers. The psalmist was now a murderer. How did David, this man after God's own heart, become an adulterer and murderer? Once again, he's not an adulterer and murderer. He is a rapist and murderer. When did he cross the line of purity? Okay, and that's ridiculous. He just got through saying that David has had multiple wives. So I, I just, I don't understand how Josh can consider, can continue to consider that at this stage of David's life, he's still in any way, shape or form pure. I mean, this, this is cognitive dissonance. He is so blindly focused on this concept or this idea of purity that nothing else seems to penetrate he is so one track minded on this idea that you even have purity in the first place which you don't he's had multiple wives and now he's a rapist and a murderer and yet somehow Josh seems to feel that going before he laid eyes on Bathsheba he was somehow purer Which he was not. Was it the moment he touched Bathsheba or when he kissed her? Did it happen the moment he saw her bathing and chose to watch instead of turn away? Where did purity end and impurity begin? As you can see from David's story, impurity isn't something we step into suddenly. It happens when we lose our focus on God. Often in dating relationships, impurity starts long before the moments of passion in backseats. Instead, it begins in our hearts, in our motivations and attitudes. I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus plainly states in Matthew five twenty eight. Sin begins in our minds and in our hearts. Okay? But what's interesting is Josh actually sets this story up perfectly because David didn't begin his slide. When he saw Bathsheba, David's slide into this whole entire thing came all the way back when he did not lead his army into battle. He sent his army to fight his battle for him. He was the king. He should have been there leading his armies. That is what leaders are supposed to do. Leaders lead from the front. Now, that's not quite accurate in this case because kings actually stayed behind. Kings were obviously protected. Kings weren't, didn't literally lead their armies into battle, but they were, they're supposed to be there with the people that they are sending in to fight their battles for them. The only person that benefited from these battles was David because he was the king. I mean, technically the country benefited to some degree, but the the men that were out there fighting that battle were not in any way, shape, or form benefiting from the battle that they're fighting. David did. That's why he needed to be out there, but he didn't. He stayed home. That was the beginning of what eventually happened with Bathsheba. He wasn't even supposed to be there in the first place. He should have been out on the battlefield with the men that he sent out into battle. Josh goes on to say, we understand purity as a pursuit of righteousness. When we view it merely as a line not to cross, what keeps us from going as close as we can to the edge? If sex is the line, what's the difference between holding someone's hand and making out with that person? If kissing is the line, what's the difference between a good night peck and 15 minutes of passionate lip-locking? If we truly want to pursue purity, then we need to point ourselves in God's direction. We cannot simultaneously explore the boundaries of, purity and pursue righteousness they point us in opposite directions true purity flees as fast and as far as it can from sin and compromise okay andy stanley which is one of the very few pastors that i probably have any uh respect for does this series i think he does it every year and it's called guardrails and it is a phenomenal 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 series one of the things that i feel very strongly about in evangelicalism the evangelical church is there's just there's way too much focus on who is sleeping with whom there's way too much focus on how to get rich or you know prosperity gospel there's there's just so very little focus on what is wise how do we approach our lives how do we make decisions with wisdom how do we live our lives wisely and he does this whole series called guardrails and it is a, it is a phenomenal series and that's exactly what it's about it's a it's about how you the big decisions the big mistakes the big things that we do they are the compilation of hundreds and sometimes thousands of little small steps it starts with discontent it starts with my husband or my wife doesn't pay enough attention to me I'm not happy. And then someone does pay attention to them. So they're not getting attention from their spouse. They're getting attention. And it's it's very innocent, right? Somebody who's just... Paying attention to them and they like that someone's paying attention to them. And so, because someone's paying attention to them, they start spending more time with this person. Nothing wrong with that, right? Just because you're married doesn't mean you can't spend any time with another person. But then it's, um, y- you start text messaging. You know, maybe it's a co worker and suddenly you start text messaging, but you're text messaging about business. So, you know, that's acceptable. And, you know, okay, it gets a little personal. Um, after you finish talking about business and then you start talking about a few more personal things and a few but you're not doing anything wrong and it it just keeps going like that and keeps going like, until eventually one day you wake up in bed with them okay <laughs> so it doesn't it the, the big things don't just hit us out of the blue the big things are always this very long long journey of these little steps a little bit more a little bit more a little bit more and in that sense uh josh is absolutely spot on david raping bathsheba didn't just sort of happen out of the blue that all the steps that led up to that happening started all the way back when david decided that he didn't actually need to go out and lead the men that were fighting his War for him. Josh talks about how um he goes, Have you ever made a wrong turn onto a freeway only to find that you must travel many miles before you can get off to turn around? If so, you've probably felt the aggravation of your mistake. You can't slow down, you can't turn around, you can only continue speeding farther and farther from your destination. Okay? There comes a point in time when it's too late you can't you've already traveled so far down this road you can't turn back so the point is you don't ever want to get to that point in the first place which is why this series called guardrails is so important andy stanley talks about long before you ever get yourself in that situation You need to put up guardrails in your life to help you from ever being in that situation in the first place Um, a lot of people are familiar with the billy graham rule which has gotten really um taken out of context and taken out of proportion a lot of men a lot of pastors have adopted the so-called billy graham rule for themselves which is they're never alone with a woman that wasn't actually what billy graham did what billy graham did is there were reporters that were constantly kind of trying to trip him up and set him up for a fall. And so they what they would do is they would pay a bellhop to let a woman into his room that was dressed indecently, basically. And then they would have a, a reporter in like another room ready to pop out as soon as Billy Graham walked into the room. So Billy Graham's rule was he never walked into a hotel room by himself. That was his actual rule and since then numerous pastors have taken the quote unquote billy graham rule and used it as a means of never ever being alone with a woman so unfortunately as much respect as i do have for andy stanley this billy the only thing this billy graham rule does is it protects men it does protect men it protects their own reputations but it does so at the cost at the expense of women which is true of so much in patriarchy okay so I want to skip back to chapter six now because there's actually some really good stuff in chapter six one of the things that I talked about is how there's some really good stuff in this book there's there's a lot of poison there's a lot of destructive stuff in this book especially to women but the problem is there's also a lot of really really good stuff and that's why I wanted to deconstruct it because I don't want the good stuff to actually get thrown out with the bad stuff um in chapter six josh tells a story it's a story of peter the the story goes that um you know anytime there's something that peter doesn't want to sit through anything that's you know boring or like the bad parts of things he just he pulls a string and he can just he can speed through those so if he's sitting in school and if there's a lesson that's really boring he can pull his string and uh school will fast-forward to the end of the day so that he can go outside and play. He fast-forwards through, you know, church sermons or anything that's boring in his life, he can fast-forward through. So then, uh, this is from the book. It says, Sadly, when he comes to the end of his life, Peter realizes the emptiness of such an existence. By allowing impatience and discontentment to rule him, Peter has robbed himself of life's richest moments and memories. Okay. In 2020 when everything was shut down and you know it was just it was super hot and i just wanted to be near i'm a water girl i love being near water i love being near water i discovered a place called the it's called clear creek it's a pretty big creek and so what i learned is i i take an air mattress and i blow up an air mattress and i and i just tie it in like to the shore so i can literally just float in place and I take my dog with me and my dog has like a little life vest. And this is pretty much what I spend every afternoon, every summer doing. It's like literally, I just float for hours. And I think this is something that really gets lost in our culture. We're just such a go, 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 busy, busy, busy culture. And we're just, we're running, 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 running. And I think that we're doing kind of the opposite of Peter here. Like what Peter does is time that's sort of boring in his life, he pulls his thread and he so that he can rush through it. And I think that's what we're doing with our entire life. Is we're just rushing. We're always on to the next thing, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. We don't ever take the time to value and to appreciate and to savor here today. I mean, when was the last time you cooked an entire meal from scratch and then sat down at a table for like 2 or 3 hours just enjoying the presence of other people. And I, and what's funny is on the one hand, a lot of us haven't done that, you know, because of COVID, you know, social distancing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But on the other hand, there's so many of us that, you know, COVID actually created the time and the space for those opportunities. But did you actually use that time to to sit with the people that you love and savor and appreciate the time that you have, or did you spend the entire time doom scrolling? We just spend so much time on the internet. We spend so much time just fighting and arguing and, um, you know, both sides And I mean, it's just crazy. And the only way that I'm able to spend several hours a day, almost every day on this Creek is, you know, something has to give, right? We only have so much time. I don't, I spend very little time arguing with anyone about anything on the internet ever. Uh, in 2000 I think it was in 2015 I want to say I felt this compulsion to take a fast I took a year long fast from discussing politics on the internet once I stopped having any kind of political discussion on the internet all of the political advertisements and Um, posts, anything, it disappeared from my feed. This is what I learned. When you don't engage with it, it goes away. There's There's a principle of life here. The more you engage with something, the more you bring it into your life. Interestingly enough, when you stop engaging with something, not only does it exit your life... It creates space and it frees up time for you to invest in other things. And this is why for women in particular, I think it is so very important to take some time and just be single. The voices of men are so loud in our lives and you need to learn how to find that that voice inside, that still small voice inside of you that tells you what is right for you. And I don't think you can do that until you take some time to distance yourself, to separate yourself from the voices of men and, and really from other people in general. Take all of your energy that you usually spend in pursuing relationships and invest it in yourself. Figure out who you are. Before we go looking for a mate, we need to figure out who we are. So with that, I want to go ahead and close. And I thank you so much for uh, joining me. If you've enjoyed this, if this has been helpful to you, if this has been beneficial to you, please, please, please consider sharing, consider subscribing. I I just know there's so many hurting people out there right now. And I just really want to be a part of helping to bring healing if possible. So anything you could do to help me um, share that message, share this uh, podcast, I would be highly appreciative. And I will see you next week.